When the, women, when the woman came home and told her husband, a man of God came to me, and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God, very awesome. I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. But he said to me, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink, and eat nothing unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated, church. Will you pray with me? God, we are grateful that we have this time and this space to gather together as your people, as people seeking after you for clarity and guidance in our lives, and you provide your word. We pray tonight, Lord, that you would show us where guidance and clarity is found, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us, Lord, that you would humble us to see you as the God who loves and cares for us, the God that does not worry, and so we can cast our anxieties upon you because you do care. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, when you walked in, you received a worship program. On the back side of that, I want to encourage you to text in to our text in number. You can text the word hi, and here's why. I've given a lot of extra sermon notes this week, maybe a little too much, but it's, it's helpful. It's good. I want you to participate with me. I want you to engage with me as we walk through God's word this evening. So if you text in, you're going to get a link, and that's going to shoot you to uh, the YouVersion Bible app. And you'll see multiple opportunities for you to engage, but you'll see the sermon notes there that you can track through, as well as there's a link to an additional video at the bottom that we've been promoting to help you frame your mind around judges. Uh, but we're actually nearing the end of this series, and we are uh, three weeks out from the closing of the book of Judges. Now, if you have been a part of Christian community for any period of time, You've been in the church for a little bit. You've been a part of uh, a Christian community, maybe through college. You grew up in the church. You know that there's something called Christianese. How many of you know about Christianese? Raise your hand if you know about Christianese. If you don't, awesome. Okay? Christianese is a type of language that's affectionately used, regardless of the denomination, that communicates certain things that we all understand, but if you're an outsider, if you have not kind of come around this Christianese, it makes no sense. It's confusing. One of the most famous Christianese sayings is, bless her heart, which apparently in the South means she's a disaster. That, I, you know, when you're around the church, you're in a community, you know if someone says, bless your heart, that's like, whoa. Like, you think I'm that much of a mess? But if you hear, you're like, oh, that's nice. Bless them. But actually, in Christianese, it's not a positive thing. Another one that we hear a lot and maybe you say a lot is this. God spoke to me. How many of you have said, don't raise your hand. How many of you have said that or you've heard people say, God spoke to me. God said to me. Which really means this. I think possibly maybe God 
could have, I don't know, feeling, nudge, impression of God speaking to me. But I'm going to claim that God spoke to me. I'm just going to say it right out there. God spoke to me. And if you're not familiar with Christianese, then you hear that. You're like, whoa, wait, wait, stop. God spoke to you? What happened? Well, we got to run this back. Share me the story. Were you at home? You were like cleaning the dishes and all of a sudden you heard Carter. You're like, whoa, hey God, there you are again. Let me put this down. Let's talk. Like, did God audibly speak to you? You're like, no, 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 no. God didn't audibly speak to me. Well, like, were you praying and you were like kind of transported? Was it like this like really spiritual experience? You're like, no, I don't I mean, now that you're saying it like that, I don't really know. I, th- I think Possibly it was an impression or something. But I'm, I'm claiming that God spoke to me. You see, we say this because we desire guidance and clarity from God. So we use and attach slogans, uh, Christianese, to help communicate that we think possibly maybe God is guiding us and providing clarity and speaking to us. Some of us use this saying too often. Maybe you're with a group of friends and you're hanging out and you're figuring out where to go and you're like, guys, God spoke to me. We have to go to Shake Shack. Um, you don't want to go against God. He spoke to me. That's where we're going. Some of us use this saying in particular to justify the current comfortable life that we're living. Let's be real. You, you engage with God's word. You come around God's people. You're engaged in the church. And you see the call as you grow in your faith to give your time and your talent and your treasure and to be about the glory of God and not your own glory and to engage in God's mission in the city. And you think to yourself, um, I don't know if I'm really ready, nor do I desire to do that at the moment, but God spoke to me, told me that it's me time. You know, like later, if he tells me to do that, which he probably won't, but if he does, then I'll engage. But right now it's me time, which disclaimer, me time is good. There are moments in time when you're facing burnout and you need to kind of pull back. You need to refresh your faith. You need to refresh your emotions. You need to kind of reset to pull back for a season of time. It's a specific season of time to go through something that is called a sabbatical. A month, a couple weeks, three months, whatever it is to pull back, refresh your faith and re-energize in the mission and calling that God has given you. But we use that sometimes to kind of justify the life that we're living. And sometimes we use that saying, God spoke to me or God said to me to convince ourselves that the path that we're walking is the path that God wants us to walk, even when other people are saying to us, I don't know if that's a good decision or if you're walking the right way, but we've convinced ourselves and justified our actions by believing that God spoke to us. So we have to be careful with these type of sayings. See, our desire is good. The desire is to receive clarity from God and to be guided in the right step to what is good, what is God's will, But when we say things like God spoke to me or God said to me, we should really say it like this. I think God spoke to me, but I need to walk it out. You see, God does speak to his people, and he does reveal his will to his people, but he does it through his word, and he does it through prayer, and he does it through his church and godly counsel and through conviction And he does give impressions and feelings, and he does nudge you at times, but he calls us to walk it out with his people as we look at his word, as we receive confirmation. See, have you ever heard somebody say to you, God spoke to me, and then a month later they come back and they say, God definitely didn't speak to me. (laughs) Like, that was all me. 
thought it was God, but in fact, definitely not God. See, that actually should be true. As we're sensing God leading us and guiding us and providing clarity and we walk it out, sometimes we, re- we recognize that it's actually our heart that's pulling and driving us and we're ascribing God to that, but it's not in fact God. But God does speak to his people and he does provide guidance and he does provide clarity, but not in the way that we assume or in the way that we approach him. And that's what we're going to see tonight in Judges chapter 13, where we look at the last judge. The very last judge in this book we have been walking through. We've seen many different judges of all different types of character. And we arrive at the most famous and the last judge in the book, and his name is Samson. The most famous judge. We're going to spend two weeks in Samson's life here as we focus on his birth and we look at his parents. And then next week as we see the famous Samson and Delilah and the jawbone and the honey and the lion and the pulling the pillars and the whole thing that maybe you were acquainted with in Sunday school. But here we see that God provides guidance and clarity to Samson's father and mother And one receives it and the other is unsettled and rejects what God is saying. Last week, if you were with us, we looked at Japheth. And Japheth was uh, a man that you would not want to model your life after. He was a man of faith. He's actually commended for his faith, but his heart was compromised. He, He listened to all the messages and he soaked in the values of culture. And his heart was compromised to the point to where he began to treat God like a foreign idol. And yet God's grace is big enough for him. God's grace covers his failures and his missteps. And God uses him to bring victory and to free God's people from oppression. And he only survives as a judge for six years, but he secures peace. So Israel is in peace, and there's multiple judges after Japheth. We don't know much about them, but what we know about them is that they are not admirable. They are fractured people. And the peace that Israel is enjoying is fractured as well. We've been saying since the beginning of this book that it is going to get darker and deeper in rebellion and sin. And that is going to take place over the next couple weeks. And if you have been with us, do you know what you're going to read here in the beginning of chapter 13? Some of you can quote it. Here's what it says. And the people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for how many years? 40 years. The worst and longest oppression yet. Time and time again, the repeated cycle of God's people enjoying peace and relationship and stability with God. And then eventually saying, yeah, that's not enough. Let's try these idols. Let's try these false gods. They do what is evil in the sight of God, and they begin to worship these idols, and they get oppressed by the very nation that they look to for spiritual guidance. And they face oppression, and then God delivers them through a judge. But something different happens here. Remember, it's getting darker and deeper in rebellion and sin. The people of God have done evil what's in the sight of God's eyes, and they have begun to worship these idols, and they've been oppressed for 40 years from the Philistines, and they never cry out for rescue. 
They're completely content being oppressed. They think that their ways and the way that they're worshiping God and these false gods and their living is perfectly acceptable, but God is faithful to his people and he intervenes. They never cry out in repentance. They never ask for God's help, but yet God intervenes. And here's what we read. It says that there was a certain man named, a man of Zorah of the tribe of the Danites whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. So God comes to Manoah's wife, who is barren and has been facing that, that pain of being incapable of conceiving and is receiving the shame and the disgrace, actually, from her culture. She would have been treated like an outcast because of her inability to produce children. And God comes to her and says, I'm going to pour my mercy and compassion upon you, and I'm going to open your womb, and I'm going to give you a son. Imagine how that felt. Wow. And this son is going to be unique. He's going to be set apart because the son that I'm giving you is going to be the last judge of Israel. It's going to deliver Israel and save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Even though they have not cried out for help, I'm going to deliver them through your son. The angel of the Lord says to Manoah's wife, therefore be careful and drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son and no razor shall Come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Your son is going to be set apart. Your son is going to be the last judge to save Israel from 40 years of oppression, and I want you to set him apart as a Nazarite. Now, a Nazarite was somebody that would have taken a vow to not shave their hair, to not eat anything unclean, to touch a dead body, and to not drink any alcohol. And the reason that you would take a Nazarite vow, this unique vow, was to set yourself apart, to seek God for guidance and clarity, so that as you're intensely focused on God, he might reveal to you how he wants to use you in a time of crisis. See, Nazarites were looking for God to use them, seeking clarity and guidance, so they had these vows that set themselves apart. And from the womb, this child will be treated as a Nazarite. He doesn't have a choice in the matter. This is how God is going to raise this boy who is Samson. He's going to be the last judge. And after she hears this and receives this, it says that the woman came and told her husband, a man of God came to me and his appearance was like the appearance of the angel of God. Very awesome. That's my favorite line. <laughs> like, you want to know what it was like? Very awesome. When someone asks you how church was, you say, very awesome. Okay? I did not ask him where he was from, and he did not tell me his name. But he said to me, behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. So then drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. And Manoah receives this from his wife. You see, if you have been kind of tracking and reading, maybe something jumped out to you, which is 
she's not named. You may feel like, that's kind of disrespectful. Like, Manoah, the husband's got the name, but she's not named. Why is that? That happens time and time again all throughout Scripture where different people and different characters, prominent characters in stories are not named. And we're never really given a clear understanding as to why in certain situations, but reflecting upon this, I think what is jumping out to us is that she is the example of real faith. She's the example of great faith in this story. Her husband is the man that we're to learn from. He's the one that gets taught a lesson. She's the example of great faith. So I wonder if the reason she's not named is so that we don't just view her as a historical figure, but we're to see ourselves in her. She's the example of what it looks like to trust God and follow his simple commands, while her husband, Manoah, is the one that we're to learn from because he's taught a lesson. So Manoah is a man of faith, and he receives this from his wife. He believes his wife, and he knows that she's a woman of faith, and so he trusts her, and he says, I, I, that's amazing. We're going to have a son, and he's going to save Israel. We're going to set him apart as a Nazarite, but I, I need more. Uh, that's not enough. God's promise and his simple command to raise our son as a Nazarite is not enough. I need more. So it says that he prayed to the Lord and he said this, oh Lord, please let the man of God whom you sent come again to us and teach us what we are to do with the child who will be born. He says, God, I believe in your promise. I believe in the simple command that we're to raise your son as, uh, that you're giving us as a Nazarite, but I feel ill-equipped I need more guidance. I need more clarity. I have a lot of questions. I have a lot of doubts. I need a rule book. I need a guidebook. I need the steps. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So can you send the man back? Because I have not met him yet. My wife met him, but I, I want to ask some questions of him. And God hears his prayer, and he sends the angel of the Lord back. Now, Manoah doesn't know that it's the angel of the Lord. He believes this man to be a prophet and so the man comes around and he shares the same exact thing. He doesn't add any extra details. He doesn't give any extra rules or guidance in any way. He does not add to, his, to the revealed will of God. It's the same thing. You're going to have a son who's going to save Israel. And you're to raise him as a Nazarite. And Manoah's like, okay, well, don't leave. Like, you want to have a meal? I make a great goat stew. I'm going to make it up for you. And the... Angel of the Lord's like, nah, I don't want to eat your food. Manoah's like, rude, wow, okay. So what then? And he says, why don't you prepare an offering and, and worship God through an offering? He's like, okay, I can do that. That's great. You'll stick around. We'll do that together. Let me build the altar. He bakes the altar. He's got the stone. He lays down the wood. He gets some grain. He got the goat, which was going to be the stew, but now it's the offering. So puts it all together, and he's got the fire, and he's like, hey, look, before I do this, what's your name? Like, that's a good way to start a relationship. I need to know what your name is. I'm Manoah. Who are you? And the angel of the Lord says, it's too wonderful for you. He's like, wow. Okay, we're getting nowhere here. Um, too wonderful for me. That's a weird name, but we'll go, okay. Let's move on. He's like, here we go. 
and he lights the fire of the offering, and he steps back next to his wife, and the man is there, and all of a sudden, as the fire begins to consume the grain and the goat, and it rises up to heaven, the man climbs into the flame and ascends up to heaven. And at this moment, Manoah knows this is not a prophet. This is the angel of the Lord. It says this, the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die for we have seen God. He's like, babe, nice knowing you. It was awesome. We were excited, but now we have seen God. We've fallen down on our face in worship, and we have seen God. It's over. And his wife again, who is the example of faith, looks to her husband and says, Noah, we're not going to die. God is faithful to his promises, and he has promised us a son. And he has given us very clear guidance, simple commands for how we're to raise him. Why would God do that if he's going to kill us? And the offering was accepted. Manoah, we're not going to die. God has given us these promises and simple commands and we're to follow and trust him. And Manoah's like, you're right. (laughs) You're right. And he receives it. But he's unsettled because he wanted more. He's got doubts and he wants answers. He's confused as to how he's going to raise this child and he wanted a rule book. He wanted a guidebook. And he doesn't receive it. Notice what happens. As Manoah prays to God, God, give me more clarity. Give me more guidance. Give me more specifics. I need to know what to do. What does God provide? More rules? No. Specific answers to all of his questions? No. He provides himself. When he comes to God for guidance, seeking clarity, God doesn't deliver more rules. He gives him himself. As he says, we have seen God. And he falls down in worship. You see, if you're looking for guidance and clarity, if you're coming to God and saying, God, I want to know your will. I want to know what is good and what is right. I need to know where to go here. Do I go right or left? I'm I'm facing a difficult decision and I... I want to make the right decision and I'm trusting you and you're seeking God for guidance and clarity. And you're approaching him saying, I I need more. God says, yes, you need more, but you don't need more information. You need more of me. That's what you need because guidance is found in the character of God. That's where guidance is found, in the character of God. And you may hear that and think, "That, that sounds like bad news. Like, I was hoping that the life of faith would be an opportunity for me to hear God speak to me very specifically and answer all of my doubts and give me specifics to every question that I have and help me navigate every twist and turn of life. And if you're telling me that that doesn't happen, that sounds like bad news. And guidance is found in the character of God. I really want a guidebook. I want a rule book. But see, it's not bad news at all. In fact, it's good news because God gives you something much more valuable than a rule book. He gives you himself, a relationship with him where you can know his ways and his character, not a guidebook, not a rule book. 
See, this was the lesson to Manoah, and he refuses it. He doesn't get it. He should have received it. He should have understood, but he doesn't. And we see that because when Samson is born, he names him Samson, obviously. But his name means little son, S-U-N. You're like, oh, that's cute. It's a cute name. Little son, maybe I'm going to go with that. But it's not a cool name. Here's why. Because the sun god was one of the primary gods that were worshipped. So Manoah has named his son, who's going to save Israel, set apart as a Nazarite, was a promised, miraculous child given to them. He has named his son after a false god. Why? Because here was how Manoah lived. He was a man of faith. He believed and trusted in God's promise. He followed God's simple command to raise his son as a Nazarite. We see that in Samson's life. But he did not explain, nor did he show the character of God to his son. Because he wasn't focused on the character of God. He wanted answers and rule book and a guide and step one, two, three. And God didn't provide it, so he didn't know what to do. And so he followed his heart. He's like, little son, let's kind of bring in that. That could work. And so Samson is raised with this compromised, confusing spirituality where it's like, we believe in the Lord God of Israel, but I'm also named after this pagan idol. And you see, we see what happens in Manoah's life and in Samson's life is that when you are not focused and centered on the character of God in your life, you will wander off. Manoah wanders off in his parenting and Samson wanders off. You see, if you're familiar with Samson and you've read some stories, you're like, I like Samson. He's got really beautiful long hair. He's like really strong. No, like Samson's the worst. He's the worst person in the entire book of Judges. The worst. His life is a mix of sex and violence and death and power. And as he grows, he is not guided by the character of God. He is not looking to understand the nature of God to influence his heart and his mind in the way that he lives. He is living for his passions. And he breaks every one of his Nazarite vows. He's the worst. Because he's not centered on the character of God. He's centered on his own heart driven by his passions. You see, this story here is a lesson of the layout of the life of faith. Here is the layout of the life of faith. Faith begins with belief in a promise, a promise redeemer, the greatest promise that is Christ. You see, all of these other saviors or redeemers all throughout scripture, they provide physical and emotional healing. All these judges that God uses in this book, God uses them to bring deliverance and freedom to God's people and they are freed from their physical trials and their emotional trials as they're facing distress from oppression and slavery. Emotionally and physically, they are freed through all of these judges. But the great savior... Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, isn't only capable of delivering you from your physical trials and your emotional trials, but your eternal trials. You see, he's come to rescue your spiritual condition. And he was born miraculously like Samson was and like many other 
saviors all throughout Scripture, but he's different. You see, Jesus, who comes to rescue our spiritual condition, which is where faith begins in the promised Redeemer, he does not arrive on the scene the same way that Samson does. Samson doesn't have a choice. He's going to be a Nazarite. And he is going to be set apart from birth, and he is going to grow in that. But Jesus, before entering, purposed to set himself apart. He, in humility, lays aside the glory and honor that was due to him and takes on the form of flesh and faces the shame and disgrace that comes with his birth and his life. You see, all of the other saviors in the Bible that are born miraculously, like Samson or Samuel or Isaac or John the Baptist, they all have something in common. The woman, the mother of each of the saviors, was barren. She was incapable of conceiving and was dealing with the pain of that and also the shame and disgrace placed upon her from her culture. And God looks upon all of these women and says, I'm going to look on you with compassion and I'm going to open your womb and and give you a child. And your child's going to be set apart and used in an incredible way. And all of these children from Samson to Samuel to Isaac to John the Baptist, they go from disgrace to honor. You see, when the women were able to conceive, they were facing a life of disgrace, but they were moved to a life of honor because they were capable of conceiving a child, but not only a child, a child who would be used in an incredible way for God's people. But Jesus is the opposite. He, in humility, lays aside the honor and glory that is due him, and he descends and takes on the form of flesh and receives not honor and glory, but disgrace and shame. As he's born to Mary, who wasn't barren, but she was engaged. And everybody that looked upon the situation between Mary and Joseph assumed one of two things. Either Mary has cheated on Joseph, and he's deciding to stay with her, or Mary and Joseph didn't wait until they got married. And so they were outcasted, and they were treated with shame and disgrace. This is what Jesus is born into. In a town of Nazareth, to a poor family with no influence and no power, there's no parade. And he grows up, and his life ends with what? Disgrace and shame. As he's stripped of his clothes, and he's publicly humiliated, and he's spit upon, and he's beaten, and he's tortured, and he's crucified on a criminal's cross. Why would the promised Redeemer, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, trade honor and glory for disgrace and shame in his life and his death? Why? So that you and me might go from disgrace to honor. You see, Jesus goes from honor to disgrace so that we might go from disgrace to honor through faith in him. That is where faith begins. The life of faith begins there where you realize that Jesus traded honor for disgrace so that you might go from disgrace in your sin and your rebellion for honor. Romans 3 puts it so beautifully. I want to read it to you. Just receive this. It says, For everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight, He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. 
For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People, we are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. We are freed. We move from disgrace to honor when we believe that Jesus sacrificed his life and shed his blood for us. This is where faith begins. Belief in a promised Messiah. And after belief in this, where does it move? To simple commands. A very simple command that Jesus says, all of the commands are scriptured are summed up in this command, which is what? Love God and what? Love others. Simple We meditate on God's word. We read God's word. We study God's word. We memorize God's word. We sing God's word. We pray God's word. Why? So that we might learn and grow in the knowledge of how to love God more and love others more. It's a simple command. Believe and trust in the promised Messiah and love God and love others. But we are like Manoah. Do you resonate with Manoah? You're like, God, that's great, but I want more. I'm looking for answers to all the specific doubts and questions that I have in my life in here, and I'm not finding it. I need a guidebook. I need a rule book. I want some steps. And God comes to us, and he says, guidance is not found in more answers and in a rule book and a guidebook. It's found in me, in my character, as you come to worship and see me for who I am. All the guidance you will ever need is found in a deep understanding of who God is. That's all the guidance you will ever need. Think about parenting. Good parents understand that their kids need to move from instruction to less instructions over time. That the kids should begin to absorb the character and culture of the household in their heart and apply it to their actions. They don't need more instruction and more rules and a guidebook, step one, two, three. Maybe you experience the opposite or you know someone who experienced the opposite where your parents or you saw other parents give rules for every single piece of life and they were telling you everything to do and guiding you and giving you all the steps and looking over your shoulder at every little decision. What happens to those kids when they graduate and they get a job or they go to college? They go insane, right? Why? Because they felt oppressed by the rules and all the guidance and all the steps one, two, three, and now they have a sense of freedom and they don't know what to do. They don't know how to follow the character of their family because they never saw the character of their family. They just saw rules, and so now they're just following their passions. You see, parenting begins with looking to establish trust and love with your kids. When they're little, you hold them and you tell them that you love them a lot. Over and over, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. And you hold them when they cry and you're patient and gentle when they make mistakes and when they misstep. Why? Because you want your kids to know that you love them no matter what. That they can trust you. That no matter what happens, you love them. That that promise is secure. And then as they grow, you give them simple commands. Don't touch the stove. Don't eat that. Look both ways when you cross the street. Sometimes you're going to hear the word no. And you need to learn how to navigate that. Simple commands. 
And as your kids grow, they should receive less and less instructions and commands because they go from external rules to internal motives. They are taking in the character and culture of the household, and so it applies to their heart and to their mind, and so their actions follow suit. They don't need a guidebook. They don't need a rule book in every different situation because the character of the home is in their heart and in their mind and guiding their life. This is the same thing in life of faith. We begin with belief in a promised redeemer, and we receive that reality that we are loved by God. We can trust God through faith in Christ. And then we move to simple commands of loving God and loving others. And we don't need more rules. We don't need more guidance and specific answers to every question. What we need is more of the character of God in our heart renewing our minds. Because our actions will follow suit and we will see God's guidance and clarity in our life when we worship him in that way. There's a passage in Romans 12 too, that says this. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The word conformed means to comply with the rules. The word transformed means a dramatic change in your character. So what does the verse say? Do not comply to the rules of the world, but see a dramatic change in your character by a renewal of your mind. Okay, well, how, how is there a dramatic change in your character that renews your mind so that you can see what the will of God is and test what is perfect and good? Well, 1 Corinthians 2 tells us, says this, we have received not the spirit of the world, but what? Say it with me. The spirit who is from God. What does the spirit do? That we might understand the things freely given us by God. You see, when you're seeking guidance and clarity in your life, you're looking to discern what God's will is, you have questions, you have doubts, God wants you to bring those to him, but he may not provide you specifics in a, in a guidebook and a rule book. He may just provide you himself as he makes known to you that you already have the spirit of God within you who is a guide and who will make known to you the things freely given to God. In fact, that verse in 1 Corinthians 12 ends by saying that we have the mind of Christ. So as we rely upon the Spirit and as we absorb God's character through worship and reading his word and trusting who he is and following God's simple commands, what happens? We see our mind renewed to be like Christ. You don't need more rules. You need God. So if you are seeking guidance, it's really simple. If you want guidance and clarity in your life, seek God and not answers. Seek God for guidance and clarity, not answers. Will you pray with me? God, it's difficult for us to understand how seeking you can provide guidance Lord, we trust you. We ask, God, that as we seek you, as we worship you, as we prepare even now to come to your table, which is a means of grace to us, that 
it would dramatically change and transform our heart and renew our mind to see you for who you are. That as we look to you, Jesus, as we thank you for the rescue that you've provided of our soul, as we rely upon the knowledge that we are loved through faith in you, Christ, that we're safe in a relationship with you, as we begin to live out a life of faith that follows the simple commands of loving you, God, and loving others, that we would experience your guidance and your clarity as we look to you, not get fixated on answers, but seek you, God. May we explain and show your character, God, to others, and will we receive that encouragement as we seek to navigate this life. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.